So, <clears throat> I was on the phone with Brennan Naden, um, co-owner of the Breaking Point TV, um, and as you will hear in this episode, um, there was some uh, cellular cellular phone issues. Um, he had some issues with phone service up in Wisconsin, um, which isn't a big deal. Uh, it's not too hard to piece the story together anyways um, that he was talking about um, so there'll be a little clip and then a jump to where I got him back on the phone um, so just bear with it. Uh, it it is what it is you know it's not a big issue so uh, he, he did his best to stay in service but uh, He's using a totally different cellular company than I've ever even heard of. So, um, you know, it, it is what it is. Everybody has cell phone issues now and then. So, with, don't worry, don't pay attention to the issues too much. Uh, they will be very quick. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Grindstone Adventures podcast number nineteen. Um, today we have a pretty cool guest on. Um, a few weeks back we had his co-worker Aaron on so a little bit of segue into this he's he's the owner of Breaking Point TV or co-owner of Breaking Point TV um, from what Aaron has told me and what I've seen on their show this is the turkey god right here one of them I guess we'll, we'll answer that question when we get to the bet later um, but his name is Brennan so we're gonna bring him on see how he's doing today what's going on bud how's it going Zach Oh, not too bad. Working my tail off. How about you? Yeah. Oh, you know, just uh, sitting in the, trying to sit in the AC. I had to step outside to hop on the podcast here because my reception's shitty, but uh, trying to hide from this hot, humid weather this week. Yeah, I'm sure all those storms coming through, it's humid as hell right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've been getting dumped on with rain and some pretty good storms here the last few days. And the sun's out today and it's in the 90s and hot and humid now as much as that sucks for you and you know people out in it it's probably good for the food plots right now though oh yeah yeah the the crops are definitely gonna be uh taken off this week um especially all the rain and then the humidity coming in it should uh should really get stuff popping right right well that's always a good thing i mean i haven't gotten to a property where i can throw uh food plots in yet but i really don't need to at the one i'm at so I'm, yep. I'm lucky there, but uh, yep. so basically this week, guys, this is going to be a turkey talk because, like I said, this this man is the turkey god. So uh, don't give me too much credit. Well, let, let, let's let's figure this out because I, I don't know if you listened to the podcast with Aaron. He ex- he uh, briefly talked about the bet between you and Mike when you guys were in college <laughs> over the half barrel of beer. So who won? Uh, yeah, yeah, that uh, that was. Uh, Quite a few years ago, that was back in like 2008 or yeah, that was probably 2008 or wow. seven. I wasn't even so in that was high a school long yet. Time ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was uh, I was a freshman in college, so yeah, it must have been 2007. Wow. Um, yeah, Mike and I both went to college at the University of Wisconsin Stevens Point. Um, we both went for wildlife management, and we had no idea who we other were. Um, at the time, and we lived in the same dorm hall, 
you could only get one turkey tag a spring. You have to apply for it by December 10th, and you would draw one of six seasons. Well, then they changed it to uh, you could still put in and draw a tag, but then they would sell over-the-counter tags after the draw. Right. And uh, you, you could buy one per day. Wow. And uh, so out of the six seasons, it's turned into you really only have to apply for one of the first two. Mm-hmm. which are the only ones you can't get over the counter. And then the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth, they uh, they sell them over the counter. Um, third and fourth will typically sell out, but fifth and sixth, they don't ever sell out normally. So you can you can buy one a day. So we just, you know, stock up. So the second that third season goes on sale, you know, we buy one. And then fourth season... You know, you can get one the next day, and then fifth and sixth. I mean, if you wanted, you could buy ten of them. Wow, that's so different. But when we shot all those birds that we're talking about on the bet, I mean, that's back when Mike and I we were hunting with, you know, our dads and our brothers and sisters and all of our friends from school and high school and all that. I mean, out of all those birds, we probably only shot you know three or four a piece by ourselves. Most of them we were just calling and, and filming for our friends and family. Yeah. Wow, that's nuts, though. I know Ohio, I just started getting into turkey season and hunting and stuff like that. Like, right after I met you guys is when I really kind of got into it. Uh, I got skunked in Ohio, but Michigan has this thing where I guess they do similar what Wisconsin does where they do a draw and then it's over the counter. Uh, But they have these things called private land tags. And it's not actual private land. It's like what I would consider public land, but it's someone owns it, but it's you just have to sign in or put your name in a kiosk sort of deal, and you're allowed to hunt it if you have that tag. Okay. And there's all kinds of different zones and stuff. I mean, I I did a lot of research to find where I was going to hunt when I went and did it, but it, it's really pretty cool, and you can hunt anything out of them as long as you have the right tag. But Okay. It, it was weird because I don't know what... I think Michigan's one bir- one bearded bird, and then Ohio went from two, I think within the last two years, down to one bearded bird a season, yep. no matter yep. what county you're in and stuff. I, I'm i not, a, like, you know, I don't know all the reasons for it, but I can take a pretty good guess at Coyote. They're not managed real well in Ohio. Uh, you got all these yep. different predators and stuff, and then people taking up and buying land and stuff and running turkeys out. Yeah, for sure. But man, I I'd love to go out and get some more turkeys. That sounds awesome. I'm I think I'm gonna try and I just watched your guys' bluegrass episode last night. Yeah. And it looked like it was a challenge, but where I live, yep. I'm probably within two hours where you guys were at looking like on the map. So Okay. I might give that a try, although I'll be living back in Ohio by next turkey season, so You're you're talking about our turkey hunt there in Kentucky? Yeah. Yep. Yep, we hunted there uh, two years. We have a good friend, um, Josh Smith. He owns Wild Carrot uh, Deer Tractors, and they had a lease there in Kentucky, and it was a pretty sweet property. Um, we hunted it. The first year we hunted it, we hunted it like the last week of the season. And, uh, just how it laid out, the fields and stuff were kind of all tall and um, had a tough hunt. So then the following year, we decided to go back and uh, and hunt it. For 
when the season opened, right when it opened. So we were there opening day, and, and then we had a had a pretty good hunt um, right off the roost the first morning. But it just it's tough for us because when we turkey hunt, we like to hop around from property to property. You know, if we ain't got something going, we'll get in the car or truck and drive somewhere until we can find some, you know, find a bird or get something sparked up. Right. But like down there, you're stuck to. Uh, I can't remember how big that property was. It might have been 120 or 200 acres or something. But you're there. I mean, that's the only place we had to hunt. And if there ain't anything going on, you're just sitting there twiddling your thumbs. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. Yeah, that was kind of one of the issues I ran into in Michigan. Um, I had four of those little properties picked out to go that were within driving range of my buddy's house so I could stay for free and save some money. And it was just difficult to try and get any decoys out because they weren't going to be seen by any turkeys at all because they would just hide in the weeds. So exactly. my buddy and me, we ended up seeing a bunch of birds in a plowed field, but it was in a property next to one of the ones we were allowed to hunt. So until like the day before my last hunt, uh, we didn't even go talk to the landowner. And then all of a sudden I got a wild hair up my ass and I went and I knocked on their door to the owner of the plowed field and got permission to hunt it. And that's where I killed my bird. But we had taken, uh, we went to Walmart, we got like wooden stakes and we taped them together to the top of the turkey rods. So that way it'd still sit on a decoy, right? So that yep. they'd sit above the weeds and stuff. And I was like, I don't know if that'll work. I don't know if turkeys understand how tall they, they are and if that's going to look weird to them or not. Yeah. But, so that, that yeah. kind of makes it difficult, but you know. I've gotten a lot of tips from watching Waddell and Bone Collector and uh, watching your guys' turkey seasons has actually given me a lot of in- information and stuff. But, you know, I'm still a rookie, so that's yeah. kind of what this yeah, this I mean, episode's going to be about. That's, that's part of turkey hunting, though. You know, it's, uh, it's never the same way twice. It's, it's, it's constantly failing and, and adapting and learning um, what works, what doesn't work. And, uh, I mean, that's what makes it fun. Um, I, anyone that asks me about turkey hunting, that's what I tell them, is turkey hunting can be the easiest sport, and it can make you just pissed. Like, it can be extremely good and easy one day, and then the next day it's just nothing's going on, and you just want to quit. Right. But when it works, it's freaking awesome. And that's how most people, I feel like, you know, get hooked on it is, at a young age, they have one of those textbook hunts and get a taste of what it is, what it's like when it's good. And, and you're once you once you have that, you're you're in. Right. You know, if it, if somebody goes for two or three years and just has shit luck and no action, like I can see it being very easy to just throw in the towel and yeah, know, give up. Right. But once you have one of those textbook hunts, good luck. Uh, getting out of it because it's not I I can tell you this it's an addiction I've probably spent more money on turkey stuff this year than I have for whitetail and that's new for me (laughs) because I'm a huge whitetail hunter Uh, I mean I showed you the picture of the buck I I killed last year and I've got one just as big if not bigger I'm hoping still run around the property which I don't know because I haven't been able to get back to the farm to get my camera out and check travel corridors but I'm I'm hooked on turkey hunting. Like the first experience I had, uh, which will be out on my first episode on YouTube, um, I didn't kill anything, but like it was the first time like I was within a hundred yards and my buddy's dad was calling 
and I could hear the turkey rumbling as he's gobbling back to us. And it was a crazy feeling. And then I get up to Michigan in the first two days, all day long. I mean, I've seen turkeys here and there, mainly on properties I can't hunt. And then I'm not getting anywhere close, can't get a shot, having trouble getting them to talk to me. But I, I was rolling with the punches, and by the time I got to kill my bird, I, I had done enough homework to be able to get myself set up somewhere perfect to be able to get, lay a smack down at 6.30 in the morning when the sun came up at 6, so. Hell yeah, that's awesome. I mean, he's nothing big like you guys shoot. He, he had a four and a half inch beard and he was a Jake, but man, I, hey, I, I couldn't have been more excited. But yeah, that, that's kind of what this whole episode's going to be about is trying to make it an informational episode in case there's people that listen to my podcast that don't know jack about turkey hunting like me we can learn from you guys yeah i mean i can i can tell you what i know but i can tell you that uh a lot of what we do is just trial and error and a lot of failure and and just keep rolling until you know it aligns right um so basically speak on uh how they all eat the same what do you? How do you like to cook your bird? What's your favorite way of cooking turkey? Um, my favorite way is probably uh, the only thing I take off of turkeys um, is breast. I've tried, you know, about every part of you know. I've had the thighs and this and that, and there is just, you know, I cannot find a way to make the thighs taste good. I mean, they are like chewing on rubber. Really. And uh, so when I shoot a turkey, the only the only meat I'm taking off it is the is the breast. So, okay. uh, and my favorite way to cook them is, uh, I like to do nuggets. So I will just, you know, strip them into small pieces and, uh, you know, put some kind of breading on them and then I'll throw them in a deep fryer and, uh, fry them until they're crispy when they float. And, uh, I like nuggets. Uh, another way to do it is, uh, do like almost like chicken tenders, do turkey tenders and, uh, lather them up with barbecue sauce and throw them on the grill. Um, if we shoot a bunch of them, you know, in a short time span, uh, Mike's dad has a, uh, has everything from the grocery store. So he can actually, uh, grind and make burger and all that stuff. So we will occasionally do a big batch of turkey burger. Um, turkey burgers are good. Um, from that, you can also do, you know, tacos, you can do meatballs. Um, I mean, there's a lot of ways you can prepared but if i had to pick one way i would definitely do nuggets yeah so you you only take the breasts off um i took the breasts and the legs off mine this year um i've heard i don't remember where i heard it my buddy that i was with hunting he said he's heard it also but he couldn't remember where like we probably heard it from the same person or same show or something like that that yellow fat on there that's what makes it taste gamey and not so great is that correct yeah okay um, I guess I don't know for sure, but I, I trim all that off when I'm breasting out a bird. Yeah, I tried my best to get it, it all off if I could. and I'm, I don't know how I'm going to cook it yet. I gave my buddy, since he went with me and let me stay at his house for free that weekend, I gave him one breast and one leg, and I took the other two. So yep. I'm, I'm excited to try and cook that. Once I get out of this hellhole up here in New York, I'm going <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go cook me up a turkey. But, uh, Hell yeah. So, I I think it was uh, Steve Rinella's meat eater. I was watching an episode. He was hunting. Might have been in Wisconsin somewhere. Um, in the, 
the area where the glaciers didn't wipe everything flat. Um, yep. He went out hunting with someone, and it was just raining, 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 and they couldn't get nothing to work. And, and then they had like a 15-minute window of it was just sunny, and they smashed a bird. So yep. what kind of what kind of effects to, on the behavior does weather really apply, like play that, you, that you've seen? Yeah, we uh, we typically we don't kill a lot of birds in the rain. It seems like when it starts raining, turkeys will go to the fields because I I feel like that's their safe spot. They can see predators, um, you know, coming, sneaking up on them. They don't like to be in the woods when it's heavy rain just because it's so noisy in the woods, you know, with rain hitting the trees and leaves. Um, so they like to go to the fields, and a lot of times they won't uh, they won't be very vocal uh, when it's raining, if it's raining hard. Yeah. Um, so typically if we're, you know, in the middle of rain, we'll get in a vehicle and we'll drive around and try to find birds out on the fields. And uh, then when that rain quits, you got to be in the woods because like you were just talking you know if you get a, even if it's only a 15 minute break typically if that weather breaks those birds will they will get hot like fast like hot as in they're you know they're they're gobbling they're coming to the call mm-hmm. so a lot of the time when it's raining we'll just try to locate birds and then we'll try to be in the woods and, and make a play on them as soon as that rain breaks okay that makes a lot of sense i mean i was i sat through some ohio rain trying to like i my brother said he'd been seeing birds on his trail camera come through about 10 o'clock every morning, um, about second or third week into the se- Ohio season. And I went and sat, and I just got pissed on the whole time and never heard a gobble, which now I'm terrible at calling, so I wasn't surprised I wouldn't hear, I wouldn't hear anything back. But I wasn't hearing nothing, didn't see anything, not even a deer. And yeah. I, I, like, I packed it in and said, now I'm going to head back over across the county and hit this other property up and... By the time I got over, it had lightened up where my brother was at, and it had started raining heavier where I was at again. So I was like, "Man, this this day just went to crap." And I, the first two weeks of Ohio season, I believe, are you got till noon, and then the two weeks following, you hunt all day. So I, I pretty yeah. much spent my morning driving around, but didn't get nothing. Yeah. And then when yeah. I was in Michigan, the weather was beautiful every single day. Like I think it hit eighty degrees one day. So, yeah. That makes a lot of sense, actually. It's kind of backwards from a deer. Like, if it's raining heavy, deer will bed, depending on yep. the time of year. But, I mean, you know as well as I do, them that, that's a good time to be in them woods after them deer. Yeah, for sure. And another reason the birds like to go out in the fields when it's raining is, you know, bugs and, and worms and all of that, you know, when it's raining, are coming out of the ground because the ground gets saturated. Right. It's kind of easy, easy food for them. Um, that's just something that we've kind of noticed over the years is when it's raining substantially, um, most of the time the turkeys will head to the fields. That's a good note to make. I'm, I'm going to keep that one in mind for sure. Cause I mean, I'm my, I used to call myself, me and my dad, we used to call each other fair weather hunters. Cause when he gets, I don't have like great hunting clothes for the winter time that are camo. So it's kind of hard to, you know, go out there and sit because all I got is bright tan carhards. So yeah. the, the blistering cold kind of sucks, which I'm I'm solving that issue this summer actually. Um, yeah. I didn't have to worry about it last year killing my buck in October. So, um, so basically, my next question is probably going to be a difficult one to answer over the phone. Um, 
but I have, you know, I have a regular box call that you pivot and it, you know, it yelps. And then I have the yeah. slate call and I have two diaphragm calls and I, I suck at the diaphragm calls. I'm mean, it's just going to take me a long time to practice, to get them right. But yep. I also have a push pull yelp box and that seems to be the only thing I've gotten any turkey to gobble back at me. So yep. when you're, you, you know, I know you, you can shock gobble sometimes. And once you get a bird located, how do you go about like calling to them? And like, depending on the, can you like tell pitch difference or how hard they hit or how fast they respond to what you need to respond with to them? Or is it, it's all the same, just different fluctuation of how fast or how soft or how loud you do it? Yeah, so it's, uh, I, I run a diaphragm call probably 90% of the time. Um, and I, I taught myself on how to run one uh, way back when I was, before I could even hunt. Um, I bought a diaphragm call. I think it was an HS strut, um, probably a $4 call from Walmart. It actually but sounds like one of the ones I got. Like a, it was like a beginner call. And when I bought that call, there was a little like pamphlet, like a how-to pamphlet with it that told you, it was like how to run a diaphragm call for dummies pretty much. And uh, it had like four or five steps of directions on it, like, you know, how to how to put it in your mouth and how to apply pressure to the reeds with your tongue and how to blow air and kind of the noises to make. And uh, believe it or not, that's kind of how I learned how to use a diaphragm. And then I think a big part of uh, running a diaphragm is just being around turkeys, um, hearing real hens in the woods, hearing how they communicate how they uh you know kind of the cadences that they use um cutting and cackling and yelping and uh that's and to be honest i'll i'll go on youtube and i'll watch like turkey calling competitions like nwtf turkey calling competitions and i will just sit there and try to mimic what those guys are doing because they they're calling i'm not i'm not that great of a caller um i'm decent but if you want to ever feel bad about your calling, just go on YouTube and search NWTF turkey calling competitions because those guys are absolutely insane. But uh, I found that the best way to improve on your calling is is just listen to people that are good at it and try to mirror what they're doing. Okay. But uh, as far as the other calls, I do carry a box call. I, uh, I don't use it a ton but I like to have it in my vet um, for days when it's windy uh, just because I feel like you can reach out a lot further, um, you know, where your diaphragm can't carry as far in the wind. Um, I've had some pretty good luck with a box call. Uh, Late call, I use very little. I have one, but I I very rarely use it other than, like, fighting purrs and a few other uh, sounds that I can't do very well on the diaphragm or the box. Okay. So, like... When you got a bird in sight and you're calling to get them closer, what yeah. kind of like behavior are you seeing from that bird that like tells you what you need? Like, like, like if a bird sticks his head up like he's telescoping, I've always like kind of pictured that as that's them looking for danger and they're about to skedaddle. Yep. Is that true or is that like they may be looking for that that hen to see if there's a male that they're going to have to fight with or? Well, a lot of the times, um, once the bird sees the decoys, um, 
I mean, typically, depending on, I guess, the location you're hunting, typically, especially in Wisconsin or whatever, if the bird sees the decoys, they're probably already inside 200 yards. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't do a lot of calling once they get to that point. I will call, you know, before I see them, you know, if they're back in the woods or, you know, over some hills, I will call to them. And if they answer, I don't like to overcall. I like to keep them interested, but I don't want to, I don't want to give them the idea that I might be coming to them. I want them to feel like they need to come to me. So I will call to them occasionally if they're answering, you know, I might get them fired up and then just sit there in silence for a few minutes. And a lot of times once they get inside of the decoys, I'll just stop calling unless they look like they're holding up. If they're holding up, you know, I might throw some soft yelps at them to keep them interested. But most of the time, once they see the decoys, it's game over. Okay. That actually makes a lot of sense because that tells me I just definitely overcalled when I was in Michigan. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll be the first to admit that we we probably call more than we should, but that's half of the fun of turkey hunting is calling and having them answer back. Yeah. So, my buddy Stephen, who's kind of like, I mean, I'm not literally, I'm not really a company. Grindstone Adventures isn't really a company or anything. It's just something that I created in January. And my buddy yep. Stephen, he he's kind of like my number two, I would say. Um, he he asked me to make sure I got this question out there. He's like, so when stalking a bird, how do you know based on their gobble when to stop and get set up? Uh, in my mind, that's, you know, if you can hear it and it's really, really loud and he's gobbling that much, based on what you've said, stop gets set up right there. He's close. Yeah, that's, that's, a, loaded, that's a loaded question because it, it really depends on the time of year, you know, what the, what the leaf cover's like in the woods, how much you can get away with as far as getting close to them. And uh, what the terrain's like, are there hills in between you, or is there, you know, any kind of landscape that might, uh, they might hold up on, fence lines, anything like that. So it's, it's really dependent on the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the times if we strike a bird, and, uh, you know, this is after they're already on the ground, in the roost is kind of a different story, but uh, if they're already on the ground, I don't like to, especially early in the season, I don't like to get inside two to 300 yards because there's no leaves on the trees. Um, they can easily see you through the woods. Um, so if I get a bird to gobble at two, 300 yards, I'm sitting down. If I get one at 500 yards, I might move a little closer to a more ideal setup. Um, but during like the late weeks, when everything's green and you can't see as far and you can't hear as far, a lot of times you might have a bird inside 100 yards cut you off and like i said if it's if he's that close i'm just i'm sitting down right yeah that makes sense i mean i i i kind of tried to spot and stalk up in michigan and my buddy tried it in ohio when he was hunting steven did um i don't exactly remember how it went for him other than i know he he got busted but i got spotted by a bird when i first got to the one property and like the grass was high and the weeds were real high, so I immediately ducked down, dumped my pack, and grabbed a decoy and my gun. And I, I got within 40 yards of this bird before I lost sight of him. And I, I mean, he had to have known I was there because I mean, I was walking straight into the field from the farmer's driveway. 
So it's not like I was hiding myself. I didn't know there was anything there. And yep. what alerted me was he gobbled, and I that's when I dropped it, and I pulled the binos out and started scanning the field, which after that I made sure before I hit the field I was I was glassing the wood line and everything I could before I stepped out. But yep. it, I thought it was pretty cool that, you know, spotting stalking a deer, I don't find it as challenging as spotting stalking a turkey because, you know, I can – I can finagle and use things to get around a deer because yeah. they don't see as well as what a turkey does. But I thought it was yeah. pretty cool that for like my first year hunt, I got within 40 yards of a turkey on a spot and stock. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. Turkeys, their eyesight is, is second to none. I mean, it, that if it wasn't for their eyesight, it would uh, it would be a game changer on how, to, how you can kill them. But right. their eyesight is excellent. Yeah, I mean... I, a lot of what made it easier for me to get up on that turkey also made it hard to know if I was within shooting range or if the bird was closer because he couldn't see me and I couldn't see him for a lot of it. Yep, yep. But, yeah, it, it, that was really fun. So, for sure. you guys have a couple different decoys and setups and stuff what you use. Um, I know when we were in Columbus, you guys had that hard hat with a decoy on it. Yep. What, what led you guys to that and, like, how well does that work for you? We call that the Dominator 5000, and essentially it's a, uh, we took a strutter decoy. This was Mike's idea back in the day. Um, took a strutter decoy and kind of cut it up and wired it to a hard hat. And we don't use that until typically like the last couple of weeks of season when everything's really green. Um, early on in the year, we try to, uh, just do as many setups and call the birds into the decoys. Um, just kind of standard, I guess you'd call it standard turkey hunting. Uh, try to get the birds to come into the decoys and give us good video. Um, but then those last couple of weeks, when it's green and you can get away with, uh, you know, getting closer to birds, sneaking through the woods easier, um, we we bust out that dominator and we're essentially you know, doing what people would call reaping or fanning turkeys. And uh, a lot of times that puts us in a position where we can, you know, pop out onto a field where these birds are strutting or whatever and uh, have them see the decoy as soon as we get, up, get on the field with them. And uh, we've had some really good luck with it over the years. But, again, that's something that we typically save for, yeah. like, the last week or two of the season. Um, but early on in the year we're running – uh, Jake, usually a Jake decoy and then a lay down hen and sometimes one more hen like a, whether it's a standing hen or a, a feeding hen mm-hmm. so we'll run uh, you know a Jake and two hen decoys or a Jake and just a lay down hen and uh, we've had, had pretty good luck with that in the last couple of years we've just been using avian decoys so does the color of the head on the decoy does that like play a huge part into you know, sealing that deal, get that turkey right there? Yeah, I don't know. I know a lot of companies now are making decoys with interchangeable heads. You got the red, you know, the heads that's got more red in it. You got heads that have more white in it. Whether one of those is better than the other, I have, I have no idea. Um, I, I run a, it's a half strut avian Jake, and his, his head is fairly red. Um, and I've had good luck with that. We've got a lot of birds that come in and, you know, whoop up on that Jake decoy. But uh, I think a lot of that is just mind games in a turkey hunter's head. 
And when you start thinking about whether or not you're using the right decoys or you're using the right head on the decoys, I mean, that's kind of, it gets frustrating. It's mind games, and it's just one of those things that I feel like if you find a bird that's in the right mood to come to a decoy, it don't matter if you're using an avian, a DSD, or a feather flight decoy from 20 years ago. Okay. That, that actually makes me feel better about not spending a whole lot of money on decoys this year. <laughs> yeah. Well, yep. my buddy has two foam ones. Now, where we had them set up in the turkey hunt that I killed, uh, we, we knew where they were roosted, so I set up two standing hens, and my buddy gave me a, a decoy that you can, like, adjust the beard, so I put it at, like, Jake length. And mm-hmm. two hens came off the roost, and, like, they didn't they didn't like it. They started, like, clicking and working their way away, but they weren't doing it in a real hurry. They were just kind of unsure yep. because it was before they got off the roost. It, so, and then four jakes came out and they like started working towards the live hens and completely ignored my my decoys. So, yep. it it was a little bit like confusing for me and my buddy because like I know for a fact all the times the day before and the day before that that I was up there calling, I had toms coming, but they would get so close, like probably within 160 yards somewhere in there. And then they would just peel off. And my thought process was, they're hearing a hen yelp off that push-pull box, but they're not seeing a hen, so they're losing interest. So I figured, you know, when I throw those hens out there, it's going to do a little bit better. And then it had the complete opposite effect. I mean, it didn't mess up the hunt or anything, but it it was confusing to me, you know what I mean? Yeah, it sounds like they might have, like I was talking earlier, they might, you know, if you're calling to them, they might, and especially if you're over calling, they might expect you to come to them. They might get to a certain spot and they'll just sit there and gobble and strut. Mm-hmm. And if you don't come to them, they're kind of lazy. You know, they're like they're like guys at the bar. They want the girls, you know, to come to the bar. They don't want, you know, they want to sit there at the bar stool and and let the girls roll into the bar. That's kind of how toms are. <laughs> <laughs> a, a certain area and they'll gobble and strut and whatever. And if you don't come, they say the hell with it, and they move on. So it's like, uh, it's kind of one of those things you can shoot yourself in the foot if you overcall. Uh, sometimes it's more effective to get them interested and then just go silent on them and make them come looking for you. Yeah, I know that specific spot. So that Friday, that Saturday, I called quite a bit throughout the day, different times whenever i seen turkeys, or that sat- Friday and Saturday. And then that Sunday when we got set up in the morning, on the plowed field, I didn't call at all. I just sat there quietly and waited, hoping that they'd come off the roost in front of me, and they did, and I still didn't have to call. But I'm I'm wondering if they didn't, like, get used to that call and be like, all right, we're we're not going to go anywhere near that side of the field because we've been hearing the same noise for two days straight over there. Yeah, yeah, and there's a pretty good chance of that happening too. Yeah, for sure. Well, at least least I'm learning something there. It worked yeah. out. But... One more thing to note with the decoys, um, I said it don't really matter what you're using for decoys, but you will you will notice on, uh, or at least we've noticed on sunny days, um, if you have any kind of real feathers on your decoy, it makes a huge difference on sunny days because I think those turkeys pick up on the iridescent colors, um, mm-hmm. you know, the glare of the sun coming off of them. Oh, so yeah. Real feathers. Like, I feel like decoys the detail on your decoys is far more important on sunny days than it is on a overcast day because they, they pick up on that 
you know, the shine of the iridescence on the feathers. So mm-hmm. we, we do have decoys that have real feathers on them. And those are typically the ones that we try to use on, you know, sunny days. Right. That makes a lot of sense, actually. Um, so for my buddy Lane, you, you remember Lane? He was the shorter guy. Yep, yep. Yeah, so for him, he's probably going to want to know, do you guys sell the Dominator? Do you guys sell them no, out? No, we, you just we made don't. One? We've, had, <laughs> we've had a lot of people ask us that. Yeah, that, that I, I could see him using it, and I could also see him getting a little tipsy and wearing it around the bar. <laughs> Uh-oh. You still there? We have lost him again. Bear with us for a second. Yeah, well, I heard about how uh, you, you don't sell it and stuff. and uh, Yeah, so. Okay. Yeah, um, my buddy, he'd probably wear it around a bar if he got drunk enough. He, 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 had, he really <laughs> yeah. liked that thing. He thought it was cool. Yeah, um, no, that's, that was Mike's baby. Uh, about, I don't know, it must have been five or six years ago. We were back at Turkey Camp. Uh one night after hunting and Mike's like, I got an idea. And, uh, he, he busted out a sawzall and took a strutter decoy and just started cutting it up and wiring it to a hard hat. And the Dominator 5000 was born. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if my buddy is interested in whenever, uh, I move on to another job, I will gladly give him my hard hat to try it. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. No, we, we've got quite a few of those things and we kind of, are always thinking of ways to make them better, make them lighter. Um, and yeah, they've, they've been pretty good to us. We've had some really good hunts with them. So what gave you guys the idea to start using fishing line with, uh, decoys? So we, uh, we came across a decoy is called a spinning strut. Um, shit, that must've been, that was right about the, the same time Mike and I started hunting together. And we were at uh, the Wisconsin Deer Turkey Expo, and there's a company called Spin and Strut, and they were selling these decoys, and we'd never seen anything like it. And uh, what it was is a strutting jig decoy that you could run on fishing line. And when you, uh, you'd run that fishing line back to your tree, wherever you're sitting, and when you pull that string, that, that turkey turns, does like a half turn, and as it turns, it goes in and out of strut. And we were just like, oh my God, we need this. And uh, so we bought a couple of them and we just had tremendous luck with it. And it was just, uh, we don't even, we, to be honest, we don't even use those decoys anymore. I don't know if turkeys, you know, are evolving um, and learning what people are using for decoys. But a lot of times we're not even running strutting decoys anymore because it seems like turkeys have got smart to them. Really? And uh, so, so a lot of the time we're just using, you know, stand-up jakes, whether it's a half-strut jake or whatever. But yeah, we're not even running those decoys anymore. Wow, uh, I I can't imagine that. That make it. That means it's only going to get harder for someone new to the game like me if they're learning. <laughs> that's. I mean, that's the only thing that we can figure is, you know, we had awesome luck with those. You know, the first probably four or five years that Mike used that that strutting decoy that you know that we could run on the string i mean there were very few birds that would see that decoy and not come beat the shit out of it yeah and uh and then we you know the last few years we can't get a bird to come into it like it seems like they see it and they just 
pulled up and it's like something changed so we you know we started messing around with different decoys to see what works and uh yeah that has not worked for us the last few years i wonder if that's something that might work in ohio i I don't know possibly i mean and that's probably because you know we're hunting the same areas year after year right maybe maybe the birds you know watch their buddy get shot the year before who knows like they say turkeys ain't very smart, but I, I'm going to argue against that because I think they're pretty damn smart. Yeah, my buddy says the same thing about deer, and I'm like, dude, you have no idea. He's like, well, they're dumb enough to stay in the middle of the road, and I'm like, well, that's totally different, but yeah, there's yeah. there's a reason you didn't get a deer last year, and I did, so. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I, I mean, he, he porch hunt, basically. Yeah, like He sat on his porch with a crossbow hoping to shoot over 100 yards, and then... <laughs> During gun season, he went and sat for 15 minutes. His neighbors kicked the deer out, and he went to shoot, and his powder or something got wet in his muzzleloader, so he didn't even shoot. So he just left and went back to his house. I'm like, you, you're you're screwing up, dude. Just listen to me. I'll get you. I'll get you an area, and then you have to seal the deal. But yeah. he, he just didn't listen. And about two months after deer season, he was texting me about how he could get some beef. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Sounds like he hunted hard. Yeah, he, he hunted all probably hard for about a total of four hours through the whole season. Yeah. But yeah. he, he, he didn't grow up doing that. Yeah, he didn't really grow up doing that stuff. He just started kind of getting into it after he got out of the Army and stuff. But I'm hoping yeah. to pull him into the world a little bit more because, I mean, you and me both know, once you get sucked into this outdoors world, there's no getting out of it. Yeah, I mean that's that's for sure. I mean that's all I was. That's how I was brought up, and it's all I've ever really known. And it's definitely addicting. It is. I mean, I don't want ever to get out of this field. Like, my goal is to be able to, you know, become a teacher and do this full time. That that'd be yeah. awesome. But. Uh, oh yeah. So did you guys start the Breaking Spring series like around season three of Breaking Point TV? Uh, the Breaking Spring series started uh, the year after the Breaking Point. So we have produced nine seasons of the Breaking Point, and now we have produced nine seasons of Breaking Spring. Um, our ninth season of TVP comes out here in August, and then our ninth season of Breaking Spring will come out next uh, March. Wow. You guys just killing it. I know um, last time I talked to Aaron, um, when he was on the podcast, it was right after you guys had gotten back from Nebraska or upper Wisconsin turkey hunt. And the way he described it is, like, y'all got bent over without permission and the turkeys won. (laughs) That was Nebraska. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that seems like a very likely outcome especially from the episodes i've seen of you guys up in nebraska you guys just have trouble up there yeah it's a different uh it's a different type of turkey hunting we went actually probably five years ago um we were bow hunting turkeys in nebraska and then really the only reason we go to nebraska is because it starts like two or three weeks earlier than iowa or wisconsin Mm -hmm. so we kind of get a you know you know how it is. You come out of the winter and you're just excited to get back out in the woods. Right. And every year we think it's going to be different. Oh, let's go to Nebraska. It'll be good this year. 
every year we just get our ass kicked. So like five, five years ago, I made a pact with my buddy that we weren't ever going back to Nebraska to bow hunt turkeys. And we held to it for until this year. And we had our, our good buddy, Jake Mansell. Um, he is sales and marketing with HHA. They make uh, bow sites that we use. Okay. And he, uh, he said, hey, you guys want to go to the Nebraska and hunt turkeys with a bow? And we're like, uh, yeah, we'll go. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> same results. We went over there. We ended up, uh, Jake ended up shooting a bird, but all in all, we got our ass kicked. It was it was tough. I mean, we were hunting, you know, flocked up birds, you know, groups of 100, 100 birds. There might only be one or two strutters or one or two toms in the whole group. The rest are hens and jakes. And it was just tough. We couldn't get them to come to the call. We couldn't get them to decoy. And uh, that was that was how it went in Nebraska. It was a very humbling hunt because you're seeing that many birds and you just can't get them killed. Right. It's it pretty frustrating pretty fast. Oh, I believe it. Yeah, that, that's, I mean, I don't want to say I hope I get skunked like that and stuff, but you know what, I, I hope I get to experience seeing like stuff like that and feel confident enough one day to even take my bow out after a turkey. Yeah, yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, I, I didn't even touch my bow that whole trip. I was, I was running the camera, and uh, it's just, it's one of those things. I like to, you know, turkey hunting, it can be easy at times, but it can also be extremely hard and you know when i when i get a bird to come into the decoys i don't want them to leave the decoys and there's a lot that can go wrong when you're bow hunting them mm-hmm. i'd rather just shoot them in the face with a shotgun and be done with it yep yep i mean i'm going to try to get good enough to at least give it an attempt one year to go bow hunt with a turkey or go yep. turkey hunt with a bow but yeah it, yep. it seems to make a lot more sense to especially if you're hunting for turkey meat only to just yep. you know throw that three inch shot shell at them oh for sure yeah i mean it's one of those things some people like like them bow hunting them and i just i'm not one of those people yeah like, it's one of those things that i wanted to do it kind of check it off my list yeah i shot a turkey with a bow and then go right back to the shotgun i just don't it's not as i don't know it's just a different feeling when you shoot them with a bow and they don't die instantly like you might get one to flop in the decoys, but a lot of times they run off and tip over or they fly and die. And mm-hmm. it's just, there's so many things that can go wrong and so many ways you can lose that bird, even if you put a great shot on it. Yeah. I just want to put a bead on his head and blow his beak sideways and be done. <laughs> I agree. I agree. There's a lot less stress when you know that they're, they're down and they're dead right there. Exactly. I know. I, I learned something uh, firsthand when I killed my bird, I, I shot him at uh, 36 yards. And he was walking away from me, he wasn't strutting, so his head was up, and I hit him. And, like, me and my buddy celebrated, and then I hopped up and ran over there. And I didn't step on his head or his neck or anything to make sure. I called my dad, and I was on the phone talking to my dad all excited and stuff, and that little bastard decided he wasn't dead yet. And he got up and tried to run away, but I... I only found two holes in him the entire time I, I butchered him. Two holes. One yep. was in his neck, one was in his back. So I probably got really lucky that he got stuck in the mud or I hit his, and hit his spine and he couldn't fly. Because I immediately handed the phone to my buddy and I walked over there and threw another shell straight through his face and blew half his face off. <laughs> <laughs> I, have a, I have a funny story about that. So my dad, 
like I said, this was probably back in the early 90s. And uh, this was back in Wisconsin during that time. You still had to wrap a tag around their leg when you shot them. Yeah. So my dad shoots a bird off the roost. Bird comes into the decoys. My dad shoots him. He doesn't even flop. He just stone, stone dead laying on the ground. So my dad goes out there and he tags him. And uh, he turns around, he sets his gun down, and he starts taking his decoys down. I'll be damned, that bird got up and ran and flew away with his tag on him. <laughs> but like you said, you know, the bird fell. It sounds like yours was flopping, but like my, my dad, he shot him and the bird didn't even flop. He just tipped over. And uh, I mean, whether they're flopping or not, it always pays to go out there and stand on their neck or snap their neck. Yeah. Because those birds do some crazy shit. I, yeah, I learned that for the next time. Because I'll tell you what, that I'm standing with my buddy on the phone with my dad, all excited, and all of a sudden I just hear like flap, flap. And I turn around, and look, and he's sprinting and got stuck in a mud puddle. Yeah. And I was like, oh, no, you don't. I hand the phone off to my buddy, slammed the shell in, and I came up. I should have just stepped on his neck since he was stuck. I should have stepped yeah. on his neck to begin with. But, you know, first time turkey hunting, I didn't, yep. I didn't really think about it until after the yep. fact, especially for pictures. I just, yep. I was two feet away from him. I put a half a foot of dirt out from under his head whenever it connected. <laughs> uh, you, I mean, go to the Instagram page uh, when you get a chance and you can see it in the picture. Like, I just destroyed his head. But <laughs> nice. I, I learned my lesson. I mean, it was, you know, it, it makes for a great story, but. I ain't always yeah. trying to like freak out like that at the last second because I, yeah. I mean we worked I worked my tail off to get that bird and then to have him try and run away like that oh I wasn't having it yep no, I hear you no matter what always stand on their neck yeah I, I, I'll, I'll definitely be doing that from here out and it's a lot more ethical in my wallet because you know turkey shells have been outrageous this year at least down in Ohio yeah that's everywhere everything yep but yeah, that, that was that that was a fun experience. Um, so I asked Aaron this. I got to ask you this too. So now I've seen you've gone uh, pronghorn hunting, right? Yep. You've yep. gone out west uh, elk hunt, right? I I haven't personally hunted for elk, but I've filmed elk hunts. Yes. What What was it you guys flew out west for? Here not too long ago were you out there grizzly hunting or something uh aaron and i went out to idaho on a spring bear hunt here just okay uh, when was that that was in first week in may yeah yeah so you you've got the experience hunting or be on hunts for a lot of different animals yeah so what would your dream hunt be and where and what would you be hunting <laughs> this will probably sound stupid but my dream hunt is uh, is uh, Iowa whitetails. Really? I mean that that's why I moved to Iowa was to hunt whitetails, and I am just torn up with whitetail hunting. And uh, you know I've got a bucket list of different animals that I would like to shoot, but most of them are just you know I just want to do it to do it, kind of like turkey hunting with a bow. You just want you want to mm-hmm. shoot one and, and be done with it. And I've got you know a bucket list like I'm sure a lot of people listening do and uh you know i'd like to kill an elk i'd like to kill a moose i'd like to kill a a caribou 
But if I had to pick a dream hunt, it would be Iowa whitetails. Yeah, I don't blame you, honestly. I've seen pictures yep. of those Iowa whitetails, and yep. if I could, yep. if I could afford the the you know the lottery, I would definitely throw some money in there and try and get it. But yeah, yeah, I ain't got that money for that right now because if I did, I'd be throwing it in Kansas also. <laughs> yep, Kansas is another one that's pretty pretty high on the list. Yeah, yeah. I say I I've been watching a lot of Steve Rinella at work because of how the job sets up there's a lot of downtime in between what we do and I, I think I've gone through I'm on season five and we since we've been up here and I've just been watching every single day up there and like you you know he goes and hunts everything and everything um it makes it suck whenever at the end of the episode he's out there cooking up the food and I'm stuck at work starving but uh <laughs> yep. yeah I think my dream hunt it's been this way for a long time even before I started watching a lot of outdoor shows is I, I want to go out west to Colorado do an over-the-counter bow hunt for a, a bull elk and yep. that, I, I think whether I get one or not it's going to be an awesome experience yep yep we did that uh, two years ago Mike had a tag and his cousin had a tag and we did just that it was uh, Colorado public land elk hunting in September with a bow and I was just filming but it was it was definitely an experience. We ended up <clears throat> none of us knew anything about elk hunting, mm-hmm. <laughs> so we just kind of kind of flew by the seat of our pants. And his cousin ended up uh, shooting a really nice seven by six bull on like day two or three of the trip. And then uh, I I think there was a lot of luck involved. I mean, we worked our asses off to make it happen, but uh, it was it was definitely an experience. Um, it was I, I don't I don't know how else to say it other than it was an experience and, and we uh we worked our asses off. Yeah. My buddy Lane and I talked about earlier, he actually got to go do a over the counter Colorado elk hunt. Uh he said he didn't see anything, but Yeah. He, him and his brother drove out from Ohio and went and did that and I think they said they were in uh he said that they were in a desert, so I don't want to say he was in the northwest part of the state. I want to say he was in probably the southwest part of the state. But he said it was hard for them because there was no fresh water, so they kept having to pack out to their truck, go to town, get water, and then come back and try again. And He yeah. said it was, it was fun, the views were beautiful, and he definitely said he had to learn it's not whitetail hunting. And when you move, you got to move quick while also still being stealthy and stuff yeah. like that. But. Yeah, he, yep. he got to experience that, so I'm kind of jealous of him. He actually just got back from going on vacation to Yellowstone. Nice. But, uh, well, I, we'll finish up on this last question. It seems appropriate after spending a couple hours with you guys at the bar that night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so if you, what, which one's more important, the coffee before the hunt or the cold beer after the hunt? Oof, that's, uh. That's not a... I don't even know if I have an answer for that. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm probably the biggest coffee drinker out of anyone on our crew. Um, Aaron will mix creamer in his, and Mike will drink coffee sometimes, but, like, I I live and die by a cup of coffee. Like, if I don't drink half a pot in the morning, I'm, I'm grumpy. So, <laughs> I mean, I could probably live without the beer after the hunt. Um, if I had to pick, I'd probably go coffee being more important, but don't take away my beer either, please. <laughs> oh, well, 
I threw an idea to Aaron uh, in a text message. I don't remember, probably a month or two months ago or something like that. Um, I know you guys travel and do all kinds of things and where you go. It depends on what tags you draw and, you know, how you can line it up to be able to hunt different areas at the same time. Yep. So if you guys are looking for a public land whitetail challenge that if you connect, you're going to hit a monster. I've got a place for you. You know, you got a place to stay. I'll even buy the beer and cook. Okay. It's uh, kind of so- southwest or southeast Ohio. And it's okay. my family owns a property down there. And we butt right next to 1,100 acres of public land that is a strip mine that's been reclaimed. And when I tell you, I mean, you see me, I'm not horribly out of shape and I'm a decently fit guy. It takes yep. me 30 minutes to get to the bottom and an hour and 10 to get back up. Okay. So it's not an easy hunt. And if you get a deer down there, hopefully it's in the morning because it's going to take all day to get it out. Yep. But if that's something you guys are interested in, you know, I'd be more than willing to, you know, spend a weekend or a week or two with you guys and bullshit and you know, just experience it all, and hopefully you guys would be able to get one. But for sure, those Ohio bucks are—they're monsters, man. Yeah, no, I I believe it. Ohio is—I've uh, never hunted in Ohio, but it's always a state that we've kind of had our eye on. Um, we kind of always put our feelers out trying to find, you know, potentially some ground to lease. Um, but we just—we've never made it over to hunt that state. It's definitely—I uh, know it's a—you know—an awesome area to hunt. So, uh, you know, I appreciate that. It kind of depends on, you know, how our falls are going. Right. Uh, we usually got several tags in our pockets, but you never know. You know, you could go on a, a hot streak and fill two, three tags in a matter of a couple weeks or something like that. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, hey, it's it's only November 10th and we, we need to be hunting somewhere. So, I mean, if we ever get in a position where, you know, we've got time, definitely take you up on that. Right. Yeah, just, just let me know. Like I said, you know, you guys can stay with me at the cabin you know it's it's a beautiful place there's really hardly any phone service you know we got plenty of cards to play down there table little cabin set up and shit but it it's yeah. it's a beautiful area the strip mine's been reclaimed for longer than i've been alive so yep. it, it's thick it's hilly it's you know it's shelved so it's like four different sets of shelves i think all the way to the bottom nice but my dad's got a few deer out of there, and they're just monsters. But, yeah, if you guys are ever interested in, you know, you got your tags lined up and stuff, yep. hit, hit me up. I'll get I'll get the time off, and we'll go drink some beer and hopefully eat some fresh deer. Hell, yeah, man. Sounds good. I appreciate the offer. Yeah, no, I'd be all for it, man. I mean, like I said down there at the bars, like, you know, as much as, I, I'm trying to grow my business and stuff and, you know, network. I'm also just trying to, like, build friendships with people that are in this field and stuff and, you know, be able to hang out with them, you know, go to a bar, drink with them, play cards with them, whatnot, you yeah. know, have cookouts. Because it, it's more than just the hunting. It's the it's the experience with the people inside this community. For sure. That, I mean, that's, that's what it's all about. That's what we love the most about it is, you know, the networking and, meeting new people becoming friends and learning like how many people out there are living the exact same lifestyle that we are and uh that i mean that's what makes doing what we do so much fun is you know all the new people that you meet and you know the friendships that you form like that's that's what we love the most about this right right i i definitely like 
even if I wouldn't have got a bird in Michigan, I had such a great time. It would still be chalked up as one of my favorite hunts of my entire life because I got to do it with my buddy. And, like, we just, we had a ball. We picked on each other. We screwed around here and there and, you know, cracked jokes. But it was just, it was the experience. It was more fun, like, killing the turkey and, you know, butchering it and going through learning how to do that with him. It was fun, but hanging out with him and doing stuff we love together, it was it. It, it was the icing on the cake. Absolutely. But, uh, well, I appreciate you coming on here. I'll let you get back inside that uh, that nice cold AC or back to what you were doing. Uh, i got to get ready <laughs> for work here soon. Sounds good, man. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, th- I appreciate you coming. Hopefully you guys have a successful deer season this year and crops come in good for you. I hope so, man. Hopefully you have a good fall also. I got a lot of work yet to do, but I, I'm I'm confident. Hell yeah. It'll be here before we know it. Oh, I, I, I believe it. I got to get out of New York so I can start working. Yep. But I appreciate it, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good, Zach. Take it easy. Later. Bye. Man, I just love talking to people in this field. It gets me all hyped. and I, got, I mean, I got goosebumps from this entire conversation. Even though we had some technical difficulties with cell phone service and stuff um i missed a little bit of the conversation because i thought i hit the record button but that's all right um i I just love talking to the people in this this community outdoors community and it it, there's nothing like it they're genuine good-hearted people they will give you the shirt off their back if you need it type people and there's nothing i want to be a part of more than this so um you know this was a as much as it was an informational podcast episode for the viewers and listeners for this, um, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll be, I was being a little selfish. A lot of the questions I asked for were for me personally, so I can grow and learn how to hunt based on what I experienced this past season, uh, turkey hunting. So uh, hopefully you can take what me and Brendan talked about and you, you get some successful turkey hunts in the future. Um, it, that dude knows a lot about what he's talking, so yeah, it it's awesome to be able to network and reach out to people like that or just willing to come bullshit with you for an hour. Um, so I, I I can't say enough to express my gratitude to Aaron and Brennan, and maybe in the future we'll have Mike on the show. Um, I, I've not met Mike, but I've watched a lot of episodes with him in it, and just Telling from personality of Aaron and Brennan, Mike's a cool dude. He's he's gonna be you know just the same way, down to earth, loves the outdoors, talking outdoors, stuff like that. So, um, with that, you know, go out and live your life. Go do what you go do. What makes you happy? Have fun with what you're doing. Um, live your life to the fullest. You know, you only get one one life at it, one crack. No one comes out alive. So. Go do what you do and have fun with it. Um, don't have any zero days, you know. It's do something every day, small towards your goals, and one day you'll get there. No telling how soon or how far, but you'll get there. So, with that, this is uh, episode 19 of Grindstone Adventures. Um, I'm your host Zach Fear, and we have Brennan Nading on the show from Breaking Point TV, and I'm out.